0: Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of March 13th, 2022, from Pastor Brett Cottrell. When we began our look at the book of Ruth six weeks ago, we saw a story of redemption and grace. We saw the story actually open up with a bit of a disaster, a famine. And yet we knew that this was going to end with something other than disaster. I invite you to turn to Ruth, chapter 4, as we will wrap up this account this morning. When we began again a few weeks ago, I I, I said I wanted you to picture this idea of of a large rock, maybe a stone or a boulder, just kind of almost crashing into someone's life. And yet, and we might, see the, we might see the pain, we might see the, the suffering and the danger of that. And yet, when God redeems, what He does is He takes things like a boulder crashing into your life, just the picture of that, and He will take that boulder and He will chisel away and He will sculpt something beautiful out of it so that at one point, one thing that brought disaster now brings beauty. And that's what we see in the story of the book of Ruth. We see this going on in the life of Naomi in the life of Ruth in particular. Chapter 1, we saw when she got back to Bethlehem, Naomi say, I left from here full, but I have come back empty. She said, my name was Naomi, which means pleasant. And she goes, now call me bitter. Obviously, Naomi had had difficult days. And yet, in the midst of the story of emptiness we know that god will bring fullness we know that in that redemption that god's great loving kindness is going to work in the story to bring happiness from tragedy bring joy from famine and that once there was disobedience and faithlessness and sin and yet we know there will now be grace and beauty and transformation this is the power of god's loving kindness we looked at that word loving-kindness a couple times early on, the first couple weeks that we looked at this story, and we, were, uh, we, we learned that God's loving-kindness, that Old Testament word is hesed, that that loving-kindness is a loving-kindness that has very real practical ways. It actually brings benefits. It, it feeds those who are hungry. It mourns and comforts those who are hurting. It gives shelter to those who have no place to lay down their head. God's loving-kindness is not just a oh, I hope everything works out for you, old kind of an idea. It is a get in there and make sure everything is okay type of a deal. This is God's loving kindness, and we are seeing His provision, His loving kindness extended to Ruth and to Naomi. It's it's love in action, if you will. But as we approach chapter 4 this morning, we're going to see that there is redemption all over the place. It's not just in Naomi's life. It's not just in Ruth's life. It's actually in even Elimelech, the guy who moved them to Moab. Let's read chapter 4 of Ruth, verse 1. Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, Turn aside, friend, Sit down here. He turned aside and sat down. Boaz took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. He said to their closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Limelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. If not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one but you to redeem it, and I'm after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased in his inheritance. This closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land. To confirm any matter, a man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the manner of an attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he removed his sandal. Boaz said to the elders of all the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today." All the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring, which the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may His name also become famous in Israel. May He also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age, for your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to Him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David." Now, these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron. To Hezron was born Ram. To Ram, Aminadab. To Aminadab was born Nashon. To Nashon, Salmon. To Salmon was born Boaz. To Boaz, Obed. To Obed was born Jesse. To Jesse, David. Heavenly Father, would you not only honor the reading of your word, but would you use it through the power of your spirit to teach us, to give us a glimpse into the cost and to the power of redemption. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. By the way, there we are, this isn't the main point, obviously, this morning, but if you are anticipating a child or a grandchild at some point, there are some great names here at the end of the chapter for you to pick from. We have been talking, of course, a lot about Ruth and Naomi. But as we come to the story, as we come to chapter 4, we find out that they yes, are going to be redeemed, but perhaps not in the ways we have anticipated. But it's not just them that are going to be redeemed. It's actually, you see here that Boaz speaks a lot of Elimelech. Now, just to kind of remind you of what's going on here, in the previous chapter, uh, Ruth has approached Boaz about being what's called a kinsman redeemer. In other words, taking the role of redeemer and not only marrying her, but providing a way for her and for Naomi and for the line of Elimelech to be preserved, to redeem that land, to redeem the name of that family, and to provide for them in the future. Boaz says, I will do that, but there's someone in line before me who's eligible to do this, but I will make sure I take care of that first thing tomorrow. And so what we picked up here in chapter 4 is the morning after. So that night, the previous night, Ruth had approached Boaz, had proposed this deal. She says, I want you to be to me the wings of God. In chapter 2, Boaz had prayed over Naomi and said, we are grateful that you have sought refuge in the wings of God. And then in chapter 3, Ruth says, you know that whole thing you prayed? Be the answer to that prayer. And Boaz says, okay, I'll do it. So in chapter 4, he has started the process. He has gathered together the city council. He simply went to the gates. This is where the entrance point was where everyone did business because everyone's running by back and forth and going in and out. So the first thing that morning, Boaz goes to the city gates. There's a little meeting area there. And as everyone's passing by, he gets 10 of the elders. He says, you guys, we have a little business meeting to attend to. So he gets them. And he also finds the guy who is the closest relative. Now, you may have noticed that at no point in this chapter is this other relative ever named. He's just the next closest guy. Uh, there, throughout the time, he, he just never says it. He says in chapter 3, Ruth, there's someone who's closer to you than I am, who has first chance to redeem. Well, there in, in, um, uh, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. Well, it's kind of interesting. We'll, we'll get to this in more detail in, in Hebrew, it's not the word friend necessarily. It has the idea of Mr. So-and-so. Yeah, You ever use that phrase? Yeah, I don't know who that guy is. Oh, his name was uh, uh, Mr. So-and-so, Mr. Whatever. That's literally what the Scripture calls him throughout this chapter. Uh, now, remember, we know Boaz's name. We know Elimelech's name. We know Naomi and Ruth and Orpah even. But this Redeemer guy who really is first in line to be the Redeemer is Mr. So-and-so. There's actually a significance to that we're going to get back to in just a moment. But all this Boaz is talking about a lot here in chapter 4 as he's got this Mr. So-and-so along with the elders. He says, we want to, rede- want to buy this land that was Elimelech's. And we want to redeem it so that it can stay in the family and provide for his heirs. Let me suggest to you that Elimelech, yes, the guy who moved Naomi to uh, to Moab, uh, Melon and Chilion's father, the guy who died while in Moab, the guy who sinned most likely in leaving Bethlehem and going to Moab, uh, the guy whose two sons he gave away to be married to Moabites, the guy whose two sons never had any children. In other words, chapter 1, by the way, you remember those first six verses go out of its way to tell us that Elimelech was wrong to do what he did. And yet here we are redeeming by the way, not just Ruth and Naomi, but redeeming Elimelech. In fact, you see here again, he says, uh, Boaz says that we are, um, uh, that he's going to redeem the the land and redeem the name of Elimelech. Uh, Verse five, you will raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The idea here, of course, is by taking Ruth as a wife, whether it was Boaz or the other guy, that the first child born would actually not be Boaz's child or be that guy's child. It would actually be considered to be the descendant of Elimelech or, for Ruth, also Malon, her husband. And so the first child born in this situation wouldn't actually belong to the dad. Legally, the child would belong to uh, Elimelech and be considered a descendant of that line so that there would be a name and a, a preservation in place because in Israel, in ancient days, land and a name... Was a big deal. The, the truth is, Boaz is not simply redeeming Ruth and Naomi. He's actually redeeming the name and preserving the name of Elimelech. It's actually an, an, un, an untalked about problem for the the book up to this point in time. Naomi cannot have a son anymore. And Ruth and, of course, Orpah is gone and and Ruth is not married. So there is no male descendant. There is no male heir to inherit the land. And so the result is an Israeli law at that point in time. That would mean that the name of Elimelech would essentially be removed or would disappear, if you will, from the family history. His property would go to someone else and his name would have been lost. And in Israel, I thought that meant that Elimelech's share, his inheritance in the promised land would disappear with him. To have one's name stand in perpetuity from generation to generation was, in a sense, a way that they looked at salvation. It was a way they looked at, we have received the promised land, God's brought us here, we have inherited this place, and one aspect of that is that I will have descendants who will inherit this, and my name will always be there. It's part of what it means to be a member of or a part of the to possess the promised land to to possess that that great promise that God had given them. So to lose your name meant to lose your role or your place in that. And it was a it was a horrible prospect for a for an Israelite family to think that their family name would disappear and no longer be there. Now, elsewhere by the way in scripture this is not unique thing to to just them we recognize this elsewhere in scripture deuteronomy chapter 9 god is has been dealing with israel through moses and god is in some ways at his wit's end if you want to call it that and he threatens in deuteronomy chapter 9 he tells moses that he is going to to uh, curse israel and blot out their name from under heaven in psalm 109 the psalmist says of the evil man, may his posterity be cut off, may his name be blotted out in the second generation. In other words, for the people of God, for a man's name and his inheritance to be erased, to be blotted out, is to be cut off from the promise. So Elimelech, when he left Bethlehem sinfully, out of a lack of faith in God, and goes to Moab, the one place that they are not supposed to go. When he settles in Moab, when he gives his sons to Moabite women, he is repeatedly doing things that would bring about this curse. His name was to have been lost, his legacy to have disappeared, his posterity removed. So when, we, when Naomi returns and when Boaz now is seeking to, re, to, to, um, to marry Ruth and to do all these things, Not only is he going to take care of them, but he is going to restore the name of Elimelech. He's going to restore that name and that family. So Elimelech, despite his sin, despite his his, his mistakes earlier, and despite his death and the deaths of his sons, the truth is Elimelech is going to be redeemed here as well. His name will be restored. By the way, do you know what happens when we come to faith in Christ? God takes our name, and he does something with it. He writes it down. And know where he writes it? The book of life. It's not just a bland record of who got saved and who didn't get saved. The book of life is where God has written your name in this document, so to speak, that secures your inheritance in heaven. Oh, you're right. It's a precious thing. And when God writes that, I'm pretty sure it's not in pencil. It's an unerasable ink. It's there. When God writes it, when God pens it, your name is there in the book of life. It is your security. It is your guarantee. It is your inheritance. And by the way, when we not only does God write our name there? And this is, you know, the, the, the New Testament and the book of Acts uh, the followers of Christ were once; they were called followers. They're called followers of the way or believers of the way. But they came to have the name Christian at one point. Now you recognize that in the word Christian it begins with the word Christ, right? And, and they were called little Christ's. And in fact, throughout the book of Acts, that name begins to pop up a little bit. Do you realize, even this morning, when we bear the name Christian, we are bearing the name of Christ. So God has written your name down. And as a people of God, He's even given you His name. This is precious. We have an inheritance because of the redeemed nature and the redeemed name that God has given us. In Revelation, not only does it say we have those names, but in Revelation it says that those who have come to Christ will be given a new name that only He knows. This is cool stuff. So Elimelech, even though we really haven't talked about him since chapter 1, part of what's happening here in, verse, in chapter 4 is that Elimelech, is, his name is being redeemed. But that's not all. There's someone else who's being redeemed, and of course we know her by the name of Naomi. Chapter, chapter 1 talked about how Naomi had lost everything in her mind. She said she left full and came back empty. She said, my name is now not Naomi, it is Mara, which means bitter. In chapter 2, her bitterness and her pain is so great that she's essentially paralyzed. She has some options to, to at least get a minimal amount of help, but she's not even doing those. It's Ruth who has to take the initiative. And by the way, it was really Naomi's job to take the initiative and all these things. But in chapter 2, it's not her. Her bitterness and her, her resentment, her, her grief has so overwhelmed her that Ruth is just kind of sitting there waiting for someone to help her out despite the fact she actually was technically responsible for Ruth. So this is who Naomi was and what she'd become. She'd become depressed. She'd become down. She had become bitter. She was living through incredibly dark days. And I don't say that to, to uh, I, we, don't, we don't want to belittle what she had gone through. Ten years before, she had lost her husband. And then ten years later, not only has she not had any grandchildren, but she's lost both of her sons. So Ruth has had a difficult decade, to say the least. And, of course, all that separated from her family. And I have no doubt that Ruth knew the spiritual consequences and the social consequences of moving from Bethlehem to to Moab and to come back. She knew that was going to be a rough road. And even though Ruth is the namesake of this book, the truth is, most of the time, Naomi is the more object of redemption. Ruth works... On Naomi's behalf when she goes to the fields of chapter 2 uh, to work she's gathering enough food for two people in fact Boaz even recognizes her efforts on Naomi's behalf because the truth is Ruth is still a young woman she has the option of remarrying she doesn't have to wait for a Boaz she doesn't have to wait for someone in the family so to speak she can go out there and get married to anybody she wants to and yet she chose to stay with Naomi and to work on Naomi's behalf even though Naomi didn't want her around you go back to chapter 1, Naomi says, I want you to leave. It would be better for you. What she doesn't say is it would be better for her too. Naomi thinks that Ruth will be a drag on her. She thinks that, the, that Ruth will be, make it harder for her. She thinks that going back to Israel, Ruth being from Moab, is going to make her the object of derision and will be an outcast and that Ruth will just make it harder for Naomi to figure out how to work things out. And so she really pushes Ruth away. She thinks Ruth will be a problem. And in the end, of course, we know Ruth is actually part of the solution. But Naomi is the object of redemption initially. She's the one who has the the, the real problem. And yet in the middle of all that, God brought to her Ruth. And make make no doubt about it. For Naomi, Ruth is an unlikely savior. She's an unlikely source of help. In fact, again, she would have seen Ruth as a a hardship. You know, there are times I think, not only us, but we, we recognize this for the people of Israel, they missed their Messiah because He wasn't what they thought they wanted. Isaiah chapter 53 speaks of the coming Messiah and says this, he had no stately form or majesty. There was nothing about him that this world would be attracted by. Jesus wasn't what the people of Israel two thousand years ago thought they wanted in a Messiah. In fact, when they saw Jesus, and he wouldn't be what they thought he wanted, what they, what they wanted him to be, they saw him as a detriment, as a hindrance, as a problem to get rid of. I'm wondering sometimes if even today whether we want to admit it or not, we sometimes look at who Christ is in the Gospels and say, you know what? That's really not the Savior I want. When he says things like, take up your cross and follow me, he's saying, be willing to follow me to death. Not a spiritual death, a real physical death. The people around Jesus would have interpreted that in no other way. When he says, listen, anyone can love those who love them. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to turn the other cheek. I want you to know that it is those who are meek who inherit the earth. I want you to do these things. And th- When Jesus says that, we go, yeah, but that's not the way the world works. But that's the way our God works. That's the way our Savior has worked. He achieved for us eternal life through death. He achieved to us victory through death. Death has to precede resurrection. And yet, let's be honest, we don't really want to follow someone who calls us to die, do we? We don't want to call someone who calls, us, who calls us to give up ourselves for the sake of another. Jesus is not always the Messiah that we want. He is not always the Savior we think we should have. The people of Israel missed Him, by and large, because of that. Naomi nearly missed Ruth because of that. And yet, despite Naomi missing it, Despite Naomi's bitterness. What we saw in chapter 2 was that as God began to work through Ruth and through Boaz and provide for Naomi, the things changed. Naomi got a glimpse that God was doing something. It renewed her. By chapter three, she's taking the initiative again. And what we see here in chapter four, look down there at verse 16, is well, verse 14. The women said to Naomi upon the birth of that son, the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who's not left you without a redeemer. Ruth gets married. Ruth gets the, Ruth has a baby, and guess who gets to hold it. <laughs> uh, you now, those, um, you know, those of you who those of you who have had a baby, you know what this is like. You know, um, young couple, you get the, your firstborn baby's on the way, and everyone's fawning over you and doting on you. At the moment that baby's born, what happens? Is anybody paying attention to mom and dad? What are they paying attention to? The baby. You are, now mom and dad, you are now, mom and dad, nothing more than a delivery service for the baby to other people. Ruth has that baby, and Naomi holds it, and guess who everybody's talking to? Naomi. Now, we have a little fun here, but there's a reason. It says, it's there, verse 14 The Lord has not left you without a redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. And who are they talking about? Who is her redeemer? Verse 15, may he be also a restorer, a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. Your daughter-in-law who loves you, has his birth to you, is, is, is better than seven sons, has given birth to him. Her redeemer is Obed. He is the one who's going to bring these things to her. Now, Boaz obviously married Ruth, and they provided the son, but the, the son is her redeemer. He's the one that is now Obed is going to one who will preserve the name, who will preserve the life, and will sustain her even through her old age. Obed is that. By the way, Obed is a name that means servant of God. Well, it means servant. You may see, you may, later in the Old Testament, you hear the word Obadiah or the name Obadiah. That literally means servant of God. It's the same name, Obed, Obadiah. Same name. Servant. Obed, her grandson, will be her redeemer, her deliverer, her provider. For that son will not be raised in Boaz's name, he will be raised in the name of Elimelech and of Malon and in the name of Naomi. So she now has a redeemer. This child is her redeemer. It says there in verse 16, only took the Naomi took child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. It, 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 literally, she became his, his nanny. She, be, she raised him. She raised him. So Naomi is redeemed through the actions of Boaz and Ruth, but the Redeemer is is, is Obed because now there is an heir. Now there is someone to provide. Now the name Elimelech and Naomi will live on and there will be a place for them in the promised land. They will no longer be cut off and she is no longer empty. She never really was, but she is no longer empty. She said, I came back here empty, but now her arms are full with that child. So Naomi is redeemed. She's the object of God's work here. But we're not done yet. Elimelech's name has been redeemed. Naomi has been redeemed. Of course, Ruth is redeemed as well. Ruth has journeyed to these three chapters, these four chapters now, from an outsider, a Moabitess, which we see again, the book seems to remind us over and over and over again. She's from Moab. She's from Moab. In case you didn't forget, she's from Moab. And again, Moab was the outsiders. They were the ones who worshiped false gods. They were considered to be on the bottom end of the scale by the people of Israel. They had opposed God, they had opposed Israel at every opportunity. Of all the places you weren't supposed to go as an Israelite, Moab was top one on that list. So Ruth comes in as a Moabitess. She's from the land of Moab, she's an outsider, she's considered to be a pagan. There's nothing about her that belongs in Bethlehem. And yet, where are we at by chapter four? Even by chapter three? Naomi's character, Naomi's actions, Naomi's faithfulness, and her faith in the Lord has transformed her. And the people of this community now see her as one of their own. She is welcomed. She is considered to be one of the founding mothers. It says there in verse 11, uh, we are witnesses, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home. That's Ruth. May, they, may the Lord make her like Rachel and Leah. Now, who are Rachel and Leah, by the way? These are the wives of Jacob. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's got 12 sons for the 12 tribes of Israel named after. You know, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, all those guys. And Joseph and Benjamin. And Leah and Rachel are those two sisters that he married. That's uh, another interesting little account we don't have time to get into this morning. And Rachel and Leah are seen in many ways as the ones that God used to build the nation of Israel. So they're looking at Boaz and Ruth and saying, Listen, may Ruth be to you, Boaz, what Rachel and Leah were to us as a people. May she provide for you and may the Lord build upon her the nation and what God's plan. May may you be blessed in that way. And by the way, to, to kind of cement that, we get the... We get the genealogy here in just a few moments. And, of course, the genealogy is that Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. The King David, through whom, of course, also comes Jesus. Now, to make his point about Ruth going from the journey of outsider to one beloved member of the community, we even get more than that. Um, they they asked they talked about, to talk about her um, as, as being in, the, in, in there with, with, with Tamar and with, with Rahab. Now, who are Tamar and Rahab? Well, we don't have time to get into details in the story, but let's just say it this way. Rahab was a prostitute. She was a Canaanite. If you remember the story of Joshua and the people of Israel coming against Jericho, Rahab was a prostitute living in Jericho. When Joshua sent two spies to kind of scout out the land of Jericho before they fought that battle, Rahab hid them, protected them, and gave them a way to get out of there. And she said, I, I believe in your God. I want to come with you guys. Just, I'll protect you if you guys will protect me when you come in and take Jericho. And they did. By the way, Rahab is Boaz's mom. Tamar, it's a little more of a sordid story. I don't want to get into the details uh, this morning. But to say the least, she was uh, a Canaanite. Has a questionable background. And so, in the line of, of Boaz, in the line of David, in the line of Messiah, you have Ruth, a Moabitess pagan. You have Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute, and Tamar, another one of questionable background. And these are in the lineage of Messiah. These are ones that God used to bring about not just the redemption of someone like Ruth, but the redemption of Israel and the redemption that you and I get to be here for this morning. Do you understand that there's no one beyond the realm of God's reach? There's no one that is beyond the realm of God's redemption? God will use any of us. In fact, if there's one pattern in Scripture about the people God uses, it's the people we wouldn't pick. Now, you you do have some wealthy guys like Abraham out there every once in a while. He's actually kind of an exception. It's the Rahabs and the Tamars and the Ruths of the world that are a lot more common throughout Scripture. Pick out any of those 12 disciples. These are not the guys who came from the upper echelons of society. God constantly uses the people that the world looks past, redeems them, and uses them to accomplish things that will impact eternity. So God is redeeming Ruth. He brings her from the outside to the inside. Paul writes to us in Ephesians chapter 2, talking about you and I, because you and I have the same pattern of life that Ruth did. Paul says this about you and I. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's who you and I are. It is Ruth described. You and I came as those who are on the outside looking in, separated from God, hostile, alienated, unbelieving, unfaithful, and yet God, through His great love and through His great mercy, through the work of Christ on the cross, has brought us not just out of our sin, but made us part of the family and invited us to the table for the good food. That's who you and I are. And by the way, because of that, you and I should be in the habit of welcoming more Ruths, more Rahabs, and more Tamars. I wonder if we are, as a people, welcoming to the, God, to the people that we don't think are worth that much. Again, remember, Naomi was excited about Ruth joining her. She thought Ruth was more of a problem. And yet Ruth became the instrument by which God would redeem her. So God has redeemed the name of Elimelech. He has redeemed Naomi. He has redeemed Ruth. And let, let's, let's let's look at the Redeemer one last time this morning. Yes, Boaz is our picture of Christ in this chapter. He has approached this guy, Mr. So-and-so, about redeeming Naomi and Elimelech and Ruth. And said, hey, there's, a, there's some land here that needs to be redeemed. And what this guy's probably thinking is, well, I can buy the land, make sure it stays in the family, but Naomi doesn't have any heirs, so I'll just use that land to support her, and then it'll go to me, and I, yeah, I can do that. But then he finds out that Ruth comes with the land. And so now he knows that the first son will actually, well, he, he will have to buy that field, that he'll have to give it back without without cost to uh, to Ruth's son. And it won't be considered his heir. It'll be go to to Elimelech's family. And he's like, "Eh, I don't know if I can do that or not. And you'll notice again, I pointed this out, that throughout this entire portion of Scripture, he's called Mr. So-and-so. He's just the other redeemer. He's never named. Now, why is that? Remember what I said about the importance of names a while ago? Elimelech's name has been redeemed. He has a name. Boaz has a name. Mr. So-and-so who won't do his responsibility. No name. We don't know who he was. We just know he was, closer to, he was closely related to the only more so than Boaz. And yet, because he wouldn't do what God told him, he wouldn't fulfill his responsibility, we don't even know his name now. He lost his legacy. Boaz steps in. Now, all that to be said, Boaz has the wealth. He has the resources, but he still has to sacrifice. The cost of redemption is significant. Now, for Boaz, it means he's going to be out some money. It means he's going to be out... Uh, uh, he's going to be out some some resources for his inheritance for those to come after him it's going to be a sacrifice on his behalf it's costly that's why the other guy says no i can't do it i i can't afford that but for boaz he steps up and says i will i will bear the cost you and i this morning have a redeemer who looked at us and said yes it's costly to redeem you but i'm not going to move away from it i'm going to redeem you even if it takes my very blood You and I this morning have a Redeemer who looked at us and said, no cost is too great. No sacrifice too deep. I will do it. We have a Redeemer who looked at us and looked at the Father and said, I will redeem them. As Boaz sat in the gate and said, dude, do you want to do this? No, I won't. Boaz said, I will. And you and I in the person of Jesus Christ have one who looked to the Father and said, I will redeem Brett i will redeem him i will redeem her and him and the names go on and on and i will do it and i will use my blood to do it you and i have a redeemer this morning who even at great cost to him has saved us romans 3 23 24 all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god who has secured our justification freely by god's grace through the redemption that's in christ jesus You and I have been bought with a price. We are no longer now our own, but we are His. And by the way, when the Lord redeems you, it's a done deal. No one else can come in and unseal it. No one else can come in and undo it. You belong to Him. One more picture here at the end. Elimelech's name has been redeemed, and Ruth has been redeemed, and Naomi has been redeemed. But Israel has been redeemed. You and I have been redeemed. I've already referred to this. There in verse verse 18, These are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, Hezron, Ram, Ram, Abinadab, Abinadab, Nashon, Nashon, Salmon, Salmon, Boaz, Boaz, Obed, Obed, Jesse, to Jesse, David. Through what God did in Ruth and Boaz, the line of Christ was secured. What the last few verses, what a genealogy of all things does at the end of the book of Ruth is it It has it takes our focus, which has been honed in, scoped in on, if you will, this one family in the nation of Israel in the town of Bethlehem. And our attention our has been brought to Limlik and his family. We looked at them, we followed them around. And now as we get to the end of chapter 4, the scope widens out and we see that the events of these few chapters these few years didn't just affect one family over the course of 20 or 30 years in bethlehem it affected eternal history you know one of the frustrations of things that we can sometimes do with when things are hard or even when things are good we don't recognize the impact of what we're involved with all we see is this All we see is the narrow story over a few years or a few months or a few days. And sometimes, you know, we don't really have the ability to, after the fact, scope out and see how what God did there over those few days will impact eternity. It's easy to not to miss that. Even this morning, as we gather together here, we have no idea what the events of this day will impact eternity. What will your obedience mean today? What will God's activity in your life mean for eternity? What will it mean? Well, I'm nobody important. It's not going to mean that big a deal. You have no idea. The impact you may have on a life, the acceptance you may have on a life that will impact a person, who impacts a person, who impacts a person, and then a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, eternity has been shaped by what God did through this one day and through that one simple act of obedience, through that one act of kindness. You don't know. What the story of Ruth does is we've been focusing on the the redemption of Elimelech and Naomi and Ruth. But the the events of this story have impacted a nation. And the truth is it's impacted humanity and eternity. This is the power of God's redeeming loving kindness through a man named Boaz, a Moabite named Ruth, a grandmother named Naomi, and a guy named Elimelech. Eternity has been in pain.